Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. It's been a fascinating political season already, and it's only February, and I about fell over when I was reading the latest from numbers guru Sean Trend, writing at Real Clear Politics, how likely are Democrats to lose the Senate? And I saw a number, 13 seats could possibly be at risk. Sean Trend, can that possibly be true? It can possibly be true. I, I think that is very much on the, the high end mm-hmm. of where we would expect things to be. Um, but it's, uh, it's definitely within the realm of possibility. But you've done some math. You've sat down and done some analysis. And your analysis shows Republican takeover of the Democrats is right in the middle of the probability bell curve. Yes? A little more on the, the positive side. I, I would call the Democrats a, uh, underdogs right really? now. Well, tell yeah, us I've... a little bit about the analysis you did and what you discovered. Well, without going into all the details right. of a Monte Carlo analysis, uh, ba- basically what I did was I, I simulated a bunch of elections keyed on p- different possible intervals of the president's job approval rating. Um, because what we found is that senators in the past few cycles have tended to have their uh, election results closely tied into the president's uh, winning or losing or how he's doing in the state. Um, Just so as former these- Senator Scott Brown discovered up in Massachusetts, right? That is exactly what Scott Brown's problem was. Um, The the Obama electorate was very favorable towards the Democrats, and uh, they didn't keep a moderate Republican in. Um, But it's it's the same thing in reverse this time. You have these guys like Mark Pryor and and, uh, and, um, Mark Begich in Alaska. You have Mary Landrieu in Louisiana. Uh, You have Kay Hagan in North Carolina, all places where the president is terribly unpopular. Uh, And it's going to be very, very hard for them to win. So looking at the job approval numbers, the president kind of bouncing around the high 40s, what kind of range does that put Democratic Senate losses in 2014 into? Yeah, well, if the president uh, makes it, and he's actually a little lower than that right now, but if he, if he gets into the high 40s, which is where his average has been, uh, it would be 6 to 10 Senate seats lost. 6 to per- 10 Senate seats. Okay, 6 is all the Republicans need. So everything above that is gravy for a takeover. And you're saying that, that winning the Senate is kind of at the bottom of the probability? Yeah, and yeah, uh, six to ten, ninety-five percent of the results uh, in my calculations came in between six and ten seats, wow. and, and that's perfectly consistent with the polling we've seen. That's the thing. I mean, all these Senate Democrats are in terrible shape. Mm-hmm. The the Michigan Democrat is in terrible shape. Um, we see bad polling numbers in places like Iowa and New mm-hmm. Hampshire. Um, even in Virginia, Mark Warner's looking a little weak. So this this is all consistent with what we're seeing in the polling. But, Sean, the element you're leaving out, I know many people say, is the Republicans. If there's anybody <laughs> who can screw this up, it is the Republican Party. Yeah, I mean, this this model would, would have suggested in uh, 2012 that the Republicans should have gained a couple seats. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason they didn't was because of some implosions in Missouri and Indiana. And right. so if the GOP does that again this time in some of these key seats, nominates unelectable candidates, uh, you know, it, w- it won't do as well as the model suggests. Let me, so you talk about the overall pro- uh, approval rating of President Obama being the measuring stick, and that makes a lot of sense. Are there any specific issues besides, let's set aside Obamacare because it's kind of its own animal right now that are likely to have an impact? I mean, just overall unemployment and joblessness, is that uh, factored in here at all, for example? Yeah, in fact, uh, the, the, the state of the economy is the strongest predictor of uh, what the president's job approval is going to be in the long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, if the economy takes off, 
uh, then, you know, they could end up with something with him being in the 50s and maybe they hold the Senate. But uh, absent some major turnaround like that, they're in big trouble. And then there's another issue which I find fascinating at the moment, which is Medicare, which is a powerful uh, uh, issue for the voters who show up most often, elderly voters. And the fact that Senate Democrats like Kay Hagan and uh, are having to come out and say, hey, 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 stop screwing with Medicare to pay for Obamacare, something that Republicans tried to talk about in the 2012 election cycle and were you know, somewhat dismissed. Well, now the truth of that, the math of that is showing up. I, to me, that gives the Republicans an even another. You know, if you can get older voters to get energized to get rid of the incumbents and you've got a general overall twin, trend on your side, man, that is a powerful one-two punch. Yeah, it is. Um, and that's exactly what the GOP used in 2010. And remember, in 2010, the GOP had a terrible playing field. I mean, you know, trying to win in places like Massachusetts, and yet it did. Right. Um, and it picked up six seats. So with this, these seats that went like, you know, 60% for Romney now, why, why would we be surprised for the Republicans to pick up right. six seats this time? The, the conventional wisdom is just all skewed on this. That's an interesting point, but I'll, t- I'll tell you what's holding people back. I mean, for example, to use a New England example, Gene Shaheen in a swing state, New Hampshire, you know, is almost bipolar, <laughs> like mm-hmm. one year Republican, one year Democrat. She also voted for that transfer of money from Medicare uh, Advantage to pay for Obamacare. So you know the Republicans are going to use that against her, and that's going to be a very powerful issue in, in, for older voters. But at the same time, the Republican Party in New Hampshire is so weak, they've had to basically go out of state. <laughs> they've recruited a carpetbagger. And people, I think the reason why the conventional wisdom stays, oh, this is still a, you know, a, a, an underdog position for Republicans, is because they just assume that Republicans are either going to have bad candidates or they're going to make dumb mistakes and talk about issues like abortion in some stupid way. And they'll find a way to rescue the Democrats from themselves. Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly can't dismiss that possibility. I mean, you know, history is what it is. Um, but, uh, you know, right now the the kind of establishment Republican candidates are pulling well in most of these primary races. Um, you know, some of the more out there guys uh, aren't, aren't doing as well as they have in the past. So mm-hmm. for now, it looks like the Republicans are keeping it together. I do think that their odds of picking up having massive gains are truncated by some of their weaker recruiting in these marginal races. Uh, New Hampshire being an example. Um, but, uh, you know, n- nothing's out of the question. Um, so the seats that look very, you know, probable, obviously deep red states like Alaska, Arkansas, North Carolina. You mentioned Michigan. Are there any other seats that you that you would are kind of keeping an eye on as being in that six, seven, eight range? You know, what I'm saying the, the, the seats that are looking surprisingly good. No, I mean, you have these three gimme open seats. You have those four red state Democrats that I talked about that get you to seven. Right. Um, And I think the next tier of seats are those Michigan, Iowa, and then the Colorado seat is actually intriguing. Ken Buck uh, is actually pulling surprisingly well. Uh, Now, he managed to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory in 2010, so we might expect him to do it again, but he only lost by a point, so maybe he won't this time. Yeah, and, and the, the, this is one thing that I think uh, that the establishment is overlooking. I agree that my fellow Tea Party folks, a lot of the candidates are you know, raw, make dumb, you know, make amateur mistakes, because, because they're amateurs. And, I've, and instead of fighting them, and in essence saying, oh, we need to kick them out of the party, which some people are saying, I'm thinking you need to think the way a coach looks at a raw recruit, you know, coming onto the team who has a lot of natural talent. If the establishment can find a way to harness the energy 
of the Tea Party and their good ideas, but help the candidates be better at the game of politics. There was no reason why they had to suffer the losses they did in 2000, you know, the, the op- missed opportunities in 2010. I think their establishment is making a really bad mistake by not looking at these as coachable candidates and instead apparently seeing them as the enemy. Yeah, I, I think you do see some of that. And remember, I mean, people lose track. You know, they, everyone talks Tea Party and they think right. Christine O'Donnell, right? Exactly. Um, but the Tea Party is also Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. It's, it was Marco Rubio. It's Pat Toomey. Um, even Kelly Ayotte was a, was a mama grizzly for Sarah Palin. People wow. forget that. Um, and so, you know, that, that should be the model for the establishment, is trying to find people who have these Tea Party credentials who are also eloquent and have kind of the, the raw talent to be made into something really special. And if the Tea Partiers will play the game of politics, and this is what's frustrating me right now, for example, the ones who wanted to, in essence, leap off a cliff over the debt ceiling yet again, when they just didn't have the votes. I, you know, learn, learn to count votes, and then we'll have enough votes after the 2014 election to have the majority if Sean Trent's numbers turn out to be right. Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's some people who think you can somehow separate politics from policy, um, and you can't. I mean, you just can't. Uh, you can stand on principle, but that's how you end up with Jim DeMint's supposed dream of 30 Marco Rubios in the Senate, uh, and then the Democrats run rampant and pass whatever they want. <sighs> Sean Trend, I got to tell you, the, I, I've been uh, less pessimistic, and your article at Real Clear Politics almost got me to be optimistic. Almost. <laughs> I still have an undying faith in the Republican Party to screw things up. But, uh, Sean, you've done as much as anyone to get me in a good mood. Thanks so much for your time. Thanks for having me.